Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to a very, very special episode of the Team Success Podcast. This is an author interview with one of my heroes, and her name is Jennifer Kalari, and I cannot wait for you to meet her. She's someone who has had an incredibly instrumental role in my life, and as a human being, and also, most importantly, probably as a parent, because that's what her particular passion in life is. And when I had a chance to meet her at this amazing event called Archangel X, thank you, Giovanni, all of a sudden we met and we clicked. And so now you're here, Jennifer, and I just cannot wait to share you with my audience. So thank you very much for taking the time to be here. I'm so excited about being here. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. That's beautiful. (laughs) It's great. So let me give the audience a little bit more detail. So Jennifer, you've written two incredible books, Connected Parenting, How to Raise a Great Kid, which I love that, to set loving limits and build strong bonds with your child for life. And I'll tell you my own personal story about that. And then also Connected Parenting for Teens, which is very appropriately named, You're Ruining My Life. (laughs) surviving the teenage years with connected parenting, which is so true. And here's the cool thing, as you know, I was talking to you, Jennifer, before this podcast and today, that I've gone to see you at seminars, you've spoken at numerous schools in the Toronto area where I live. I've read your books, I've listened to podcasts. And what is amazing is that the strategy, the technique that you're going to share, I have seen you do it with parents. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they knew what you were doing, which is kind of amazing. And I was watching you going, she's not kidding. It's like what you do with kids to have them to really mirror, and we'll talk more about the amazing strategy you have with children. By the way, part of the reason why I'm excited about this for the Team Success Podcast is it works with all humans. (laughs) That's kind of my point. Human technique. That's true. Yes, it's, it's a human technique. Now, especially for little kids, which are some of the most important people to us. But I actually think it works in teamwork. And I like to think of my family as a team, you know, since teamwork's my jam. Mm-hmm. You are so congruent and you do it all the time, Jennifer. It's masterful to watch. And let me tell you, it is simple, but not yeah. easy. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most challenging ways. But if as you know, you're hearing Jennifer, you talk, if you can just try and get this into your cells, it will make a profound shift in how you relate to other people, particularly your children. But what it means for communication relationships, I think is transformative. It's a superpower. It is a superpower. Yes. Yep. Great. So I have, I've missed a whole awesome chunks of your <laughs> capability and experience. So share a little bit more about your beginning and all of your incredible background. Thank you. So I'm a social worker. And I love working with families and kids. And I started working many, many years ago with street kids, actually. And then from that experience, kind of built this idea of connected parenting, which I'll walk you through. And now I live it and I teach it. And I sort of have this secret agenda to save the world one family at a time, one child at a time. And although the work really is for parents and it's to help them and to support them because parenting is hard. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it out there. It is really hard. And I think it's getting harder. Mm. I really do. But connected parenting is really not for the parents. It's for the children. Right. I also think you'll save one parent at a time doing this. <laughs> Listen, we're so connected to our children. Yeah. And then there's that famous quote, you're only as happy as your saddest child. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and we can't do our work and get out there in the entrepreneurial world and make a difference in the world if we're not feeling comfortable and solid and really good at home. So this really is something that I think is just profound and it makes us better people. And you enjoy your life more when you can use this technique and you have different relationships with people and conflict 
doesn't scare you anymore. It's really incredible. Well, just to tie it in with another great resource, I was reading a book on negotiation called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And it's interesting because what he's talking about in high stakes negotiation, he was an FBI negotiator. So Never Split the Difference is like, you take two hostages, I'll take two hostages. That doesn't really work. And honest to God, he talks exactly very few changes in terms of exactly how to mirror and how to connect and empathy. And like, I know this already, you know, and the fact that it works in, well, sometimes it feels like with our kids, it's an FBI hostage negotiation. (laughs) (laughs) But but what I love is it's so resonant for me when I've learned it from you years and years ago now, and then I keep hearing it in other ways. This really is just to play it forward, valuable in numerous life situations. Oh, it is. Absolutely. And we'll talk about some of the ways. I mean, I've worked with doctors and nurses. I've worked with corporations and companies. I've done some work with people with Alzheimer's patients. Wow. The technique is so incredible that it's a wonderful way to talk to someone with Alzheimer's because it's affect-based. It's feeling-based. And you can have a whole conversation where you don't even know what you're talking about. But you know that there's love in it, right? That's, yes. that's the truth. Right. So it's really interesting. So yeah, I'm a social worker and a family therapist, child and family therapist. Should I talk about like the early history stuff? Would that sure. Be- yeah, just fill people in the background. I think so. It might really help people understand where this came from. So when I finished my undergraduate degree in psychology, I just wanted to get out there. I just wanted to be in the real world and make a difference and see what was going on. I was just dying to get out there. And I had signed up without knowing anything to work at this group home for street kids. And these are children who were 11 to 16 years old. So they're really young, who had been working as child prostitutes on the streets. Wow. Yeah. They had all been sexually abused and physically abused and deeply, deeply traumatized. They've been through horrible things. They were tough. They were scary. They were kind of mean. And I walked in and literally I was terrified and they could just see it. And then what was interesting about this group home and many group homes still run this way was that we were really taught and trained not to connect. We were literally told, don't connect to these kids. They'll take advantage of you. They'll walk all over you. Be tough. You know, don't try to get to know them because they're not here very long. It's what's called a receiving home. So they're only there for a few weeks before being sent to a more permanent placement. And I physically was not built to do that. I couldn't do it. Even though they were scary and kind of tough, I knew what they'd been through. Mm -hmm. I knew what was behind that behavior. Behind anyone who is angry, anyone who is acting out is someone who's in pain. Right. Someone who's afraid. And you could see it in their eyes. So at bedtime, when the makeup came off and the teddy bears came out and the jammies came on, they turned back in the kit. Right. So I ignored all of, you know, that protocol. And I would sit on their beds and I would rub their backs and I would tell them bedtime stories and I would sing them lullabies. And these kids who were so tough and so scary melted, literally melted into this moment. And they didn't want to talk about it the next day because it was embarrassing. So we didn't. But I noticed the next day when I needed those children to do the things that I needed them to do, to flow through their day and listen to me, they were much more likely to do it. So there was an absolute incredible increase in compliance and trust Mm. and you can feel it. And so the other staff are like, Oh, she's a bleeding heart. This is going to backfire. They're going to walk all over her. This is ridiculous. And honestly, that didn't happen. It really didn't happen. It just didn't happen. I was there for a very long time. And this is a total aside, but there was another staff member. This is 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Another staff member there at the time who was also had a similar kind of style with the kids. And that's my husband. We met there and we've been married for 30 years. No, I didn't know that. 
That's where we met. That's where we met. I love it. That's yeah. very cool. Well, I'm glad you found each other. because <laughs> we did. He sort of went the teaching special ed principal route. And I went the social work family therapy route. And now we've come back together. We're running the business together. So. Oh, isn't that fantastic? Well, that's an incredible population to start with. But, you know, if you can find the heart, what's underneath mm -hmm. such, you know, prickly people yeah. through horrible circumstances, that's incredible. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, let's dive in because I don't want to tease people for sure. too long. So let's talk about what is connected parenting. And you have a particular strategy called Calm, which I love that I know people need to know. And there's some really important parts of it that it sounds really simple, I think it takes a little bit of practice, but once you do it and you start to get to see the rewards, you're like, oh, this makes more sense. Yes. And it is, as far as I'm concerned, the wisest approach, and I read a lot, that I've ever seen, run into, or felt. So can you just talk about all the good stuff and we'll get into some details, but it's so amazing. Well, thank you for saying that. So there's really two parts to connected parenting. There's two halves. The first half is what you're talking about, the calm <laughs> Yes. The, the art of what's called attunement or mirroring, which I've kind of distilled and pulled into my own model with my own personal kind of experience and style. And that's where your superpower lies. It really is. Mm -hmm. Balancing that is loving limits. Yes. This is particular to parenting. So the frontal lobe, the frontal lobe's job is to inhibit, organize, prioritize, motivate. Mm -hmm. right? it, it's the CEO of the brain. It's the, so the higher self that tells you when to respond instead of react to the world. And children don't have one of those fully formed until they're 25. So we're not actually parents. This is the biggest message I want people to hear. You're not a parent. You are a substitute frontal lobe. Wow. That's what you are, which is why you have to say something 50,000 times, <laughs> which is why you have to, you know, kind of get upset before your children will listen to you. They're looking for that inhibition. Right. The midbrain, that's the part of the job that freaks out, thinks it's saving your life, has a temper tantrum, has panic attacks, gets angry. That's the part that's reacting to the world and it's only interested in survival. Mm. Frontal lobe's job to decide when something is a true danger and when something is not. And so as children grow and develop, they need to borrow your frontal lobe. And so the connection between you and your child is super important because they need to trust you enough to let you do that. Oh, what a, okay. That's an amazing thing to say. They need to trust you enough through connection in order to allow you to be the frontal lobe. That is so key. It is huge because otherwise you're mean. <laughs> I like it. We've not all heard that before. <laughs> now, it's interesting because, and this is what I've run into with some parents and some people I know really, really well, hint, hint, my own family, where kids actually seem to grow up really fast mm -hmm. and they have a lot of their persona. They've got the tools. They've got the clothes. I came from a small town and I met a whole bunch of city kids who were way more sophisticated than I was. Well, my kids are those city kids, mm -hmm. right? So I think they can be deceiving a little bit because people look at them and they're articulate. Mm -hmm. They speak well. They walk well. They interact well. And yet, I think it's a critical point that you're making that they doesn't mean they have a fully no, formed frontal lobe. Don't. In fact, they don't. No, and they won't until 25, actually closer to 30, really. So at 16, you sort of have you know enough of a frontal lobe that you can drive. And you can see this as a parent. You can see when you're having just different kinds of conversations between, like the difference between a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old is huge. Yeah. Right? Arguing with a 14-year-old is mind-boggling. Yeah. You don't know what's happening in that conversation. Like they look... Like they should know what they're talking about, but they're acting like they're five-year-old one second and then a 30-year-old the next second. It's really confusing. 
So you can see as they get older that you can back up a little bit more and a little bit more as their own frontal lobe takes over. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right. They don't have a fully formed frontal lobe yet. They still need that connection with you as they're growing up and making these decisions. And that's why the relationship has to be so strong. So they will accept those loving limits. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. So I'm going to talk about the calm technique, but I want to add a little point here that has to do with the frontal lobe. And this is really true for parenting in particular, and then we can broaden it to just life in general. But if you were on an airplane, okay, and it was a turbulent, terrifying, scary flight, and the captain decided to wander down the aisle and go, what do you guys think? Like, I could do 30,000 feet if you want. I could try 28. Like, Maybe we could try going around the storm. How would you feel in that seat? Right. Petrified, right? And just for the sake of argument, let's say the cockpit doors open and the captain's in there yelling, I don't know why this red button is flashing and why isn't the control tower answering me and they don't pay enough for this job. You're going to be literally petrified in that seat. And so when our children look to us, they want to see the captain flying the plane. Mm-hmm. They want to see the captain flying the plane. That's where we have to be really good frontal lobes. The bigger piece to this is parenting has really changed in the last 25 years. Really. It used to be a parent-centered model. Our parents were pretty good frontal lobes for us. And they didn't Mm -hmm. feel guilty about it. And they didn't feel bad about it. And then they said things like, because I said so. And we were like, okay. (laughs) right? Like we just knew. And there was infrastructure and culture and movies and television shows that all supported that. And now it is a child-centered model right? Yes. where the kids run the show and the kids are telling the parents, you're mean, I hate you. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. And part of that got blurred a long time ago with all kinds of different parenting messages. We're not necessarily wrong. It's just, we swung, we polarized. We'll come back to polarizing because it's a very important part of our world right now. We polarized to the point where now we're like, oh, we don't want to give time out and I don't want to make my child feel bad and I don't want to hurt their feelings and I want them to have a say and I want them to feel strong. But we've now thrown the baby out with the bathwater and no one's flying a plane. So we now have an increase in young people who are really struggling with emotional issues. They're anxious. They're depressed. We're seeing skyrocketing levels of anxiety. We're seeing panic attacks. We're seeing self-harm. We're seeing suicide rates. We are seeing a really dangerous trend of a group of people that are really suffering. Mm. And that's terrifying for us as parents. So I think what's unique about connected parenting addresses what's unique about children right now, which is they have way more information, way too much power. They have had more experiences than we've had at five than we did at 15, right? They go to school and the teacher does a little unit on volcanoes and they've already built a volcano at home and they've already been to a volcano and they've seen television shows on volcano and they've been to an IMAX theater with volcanoes. So when the teacher starts talking about volcanoes, they're bored, Yep. right? They already have so much information. And so we really have to find a way to have a modern way to parent. And so connected parenting is that. And it's also based on psychoneurobiology. We are participants in the architecture of our children's brains, and we have a huge responsibility to be the frontal lobe, and we've got to do that, And even though we've been given some really different messages over the last 25 years, and I think that's why parents are struggling. Parents are suffering. They're literally on the bathroom floor crying. Mm -hmm. I can't do this. The thing I hear the most, I'm the worst mother in the world. Mm -hmm. I hear that every single day from my clients through tears. I'm the worst mother in the world. My child should not be acting this way. My child should not be feeling this way. I'm not doing enough. I'm not helping them enough. And more moms and dads are going to sleep at night in tears and waking up with a pit in their stomach than I have ever seen before. Mm. And that's affecting our world. These are the people that are supposed to save us one day, right? So we've got to raise these little people into the beautiful beings that they're meant to be. 
in a very confusing world with a lot of conflicting messages. It's interesting to say, I mean, I appreciate the acknowledgement that parenting has really changed. I mean, I think about even when I first went to London, it wasn't till I was 46 or seven. You know, my youngest has been went there two years ago and she's 16, right? I mean, just the opportunities that they have to travel and to be places. My other daughter has got London memorized. It's weird. You know, it's like what they have available to them. And we cannot go back to the old authoritarian model. No. That's gone. gone. But what do we do instead? And how do we manage all these I might say conflicting forces, but all of these inputs that are very strong. And they are conflicting forces. Right. They are. It's very polarized, right? And so Mm -hmm. parents will polarize. There's often in a couple, and sometimes if you're a single parent, it's in your own head. It's, this is ridiculous. This kid's out of control. We need some rules. And we sort of go back to what we know and how our parents parented us. And literally the kids are like, no, take it away. I don't care. Like it just doesn't work. But because I said so, a model just doesn't fly anymore. With some kids, it does, but most kids, it doesn't. And then you've got the other half of that where you're giving your child way too much power. And so that parent is saying, oh, he's tired. It's not his fault. Oh, I don't want to be mean. I don't want to hurt his self-esteem. And so even as a couple, you end up completely polarizing. You end up compensating for what you believe is a weakness in the other one's parenting, and you further polarize. And any kid, particularly smart kids, will capitalize on that. They're like, (laughs) okay, there's some splitting I can do here. What can I get away with here? Because the parents end up fighting with each other and the kid kind of slinks out, right? So (laughs) it definitely is conflicting. It really is. And so what we do is I think it's this. I think this parenting model is incredibly unique. And as you say, really applicable to life, not just parenting, Mm -hmm. but life. Life. All right. And I really appreciate the limits part is just as important. Equally, yes, for mental health, for stability, for safety, for growth, right? It's really important. Mm -hmm. That's why kids behave better at school than they do at home. Yeah, that's true. There's more rules. And it's interesting. I was someone I always said had to discover my own boundaries in life because I I had two wonderful hippie parents. (laughs) Not a lot of rules. Had to figure out my own. So really figuring out what that looks like and trying not to polarize with your spouse or yourself. Great point, by the way. And not flipping between being a super bossy person to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Here, have whatever you want. And the kids are completely lost in that. So this calm technique with limits is so amazing. Takes practice. So let's jump in because calm is actually an acronym. So it really is magic. It really is. Okay, so the calm technique. So let me take people through the neuroscience first. Yes. So the good news is, so the calm technique is actually my version of mirroring and attunement. Now people hear mirroring and I think I do that. I already know how to do that. I've been trained in that. Trust me, this is not something you've heard before. Unless you have been trained in self-psychology, which very few people have, and I think the whole world should be, but very few people have, (laughs) you think you know what mirroring is, but you don't. What you probably know is how to do active listening or empathic listening, which is a very, very different technique. It's entirely different. So the calm technique is my version of that. Now, the good news is we are all pretty good at this. We just don't realize it. Okay. So with a baby, all of us are spectacular at this, right? (laughs) Nobody would pick up a baby and go, Hey, how are you? Are you know, you doing okay? Like everybody would pick up a baby and go, my goodness. Look at you, look at those little cheeks. They, they would just have this moment. Mm-hmm. When you interact with a baby that way, what happens is reward chemicals flood the brain. Opiates and endorphins and a very powerful hormone called oxytocin. Oxytocin is pretty spectacular. So I'm going to tell you what oxytocin does. First of all, it speeds up neuroplasticity. 
It makes you smarter, not just your kids, everyone. It prepares mm. the brain to take risks, to learn, to retain, to improve memory. It's phenomenal oxytocin. It strengthens the immune system, makes you stronger mm. and healthier and more resistant to disease and infection. It blocks cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone. Wow. Oxytocin, which is actually a stress hormone, a positive stress hormone and a neurotransmitter, it's kind of a magic little thing that releases, blocks cortisol. As oxytocin rises, cortisol falls. Wow. It's free. You don't need a prescription. <laughs> you can't come out of it. There's no negative side effects. You can't become addicted to it. It is literally a magic substance. Mm. And that's what flows between us. And that's the feeling. Like we're one baby away from that feeling, right? When you see a little baby and they burst into one of those little adorable smiles, you get that warm flood. When you see a friend you haven't seen in a long time, when you come home at the end of the day and you see your kids or your dog, there's that feeling that's oxytocin mm. and we don't get enough of it, but it's really, really important. So that releases naturally. We know how to do that with babies. And then we drop it. We drop it out of our parenting repertoire around the time that our children acquire language. So the example that I usually give is let's say you have a little tiny baby, four months old or something, and they're taking a bath and they're screaming and fussing. Nobody would walk, you know, be over that baby saying, I don't understand why you're upset. We have a bath every single night. You are fine. Why do we keep going through this? No one would say that to a baby. They'd say, I know, sweetie, and you're cold and this towel's scratchy. And the baby wouldn't have a clue what you're saying, but the baby sees on your face a perfect representation of what they are feeling inside, which triggers the mirror neuron cells in the brain that causes the brain to release natural opiates, endorphins, mm. and oxytocin. Wow. Those are reward chemicals. I'm going to come back to that because those are the reward chemicals that we seek for the rest of our lives. Mm -mm. We seek it in all the wrong places, alcohol, drugs, shopping, dangerous, you know, risk-taking, we're looking for original reward chemicals, which we will not find outside of ourselves. We will find in our closest relationships, in our connection to other people, right? There's a number of things I've read that talk about that addiction, the root of it is a lack of connection. 1,000%. Connection, and I'll talk about that today, connection is the antidote mm. to addiction because that's what we're searching for. This is it. We've already had it. We've had it all along just don't lose it. So we think we're going to find success. We think we're going to find happiness. Oh, I'm going to get that job. Oh, I'm going to get that promotion. Oh, I'm going to launch my new product. What brings success? You don't get success and then you have happiness. You have happiness and then you get success. Uh -huh. We're backwards. We're upside down in our culture. We are completely backwards, right? It is precisely our relationships with our people closest to us that are going to give us strength and success in our lives. Mm -hmm. So here's what we do. We've got our baby. We know how to do it with a baby. Then you have your four-year-old. Now you're trying to get your child out. Then they're screaming and they're kicking, they're splashing water and they don't want to get out of the bath. Then we start with, honey, please get out of the bath. Please get out of the bath. Look at mommy's face. This is not a happy face. This is not mommy's happy face. Uh, look at your brother. He's already in his pajamas. Please, can't you once, just once, do what mommy says, get out of the bath. And now we start screaming. Right? Then we start acting in ways that we feel horrible about. Now our child isn't interested in getting out of the bath, and I'll tell you neurologically why at this point. But we forget to mirror. We forget to connect first. Connect before, correct, burn that into your brains. And I don't care if it's your staff you're talking to, or your mother-in-law, or your nasty neighbor, or your husband, or your boss. Connect before you correct. That is the most important thing you will hear from me today. And it takes discipline. 
and it takes practice, but it will always serve you always. So now you're, now you're just escalating your child. Now your child's splashing water. Now you're screaming. Now you're saying I'm the worst mother in the world. Why can't my kids ever listen to me? What am I doing wrong? And you go to bed crying and promising yourself that you're not going to yell, telling yourself that you'll be a better mom tomorrow. You know, and yelling, which is a very, very popular parenting technique. Um, And we all do it from time to time. And it's not the end of the world. And I tell parents not to panic. It just can't be your primary technique. But yelling doesn't work. It doesn't. Like, can you ever think of a time in your life when you've been yelled at or reprimanded or screamed at and you've gone, oh, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That was so helpful. Never would you do that. Your limbic system will not let you do that because it feels attacked. Mm. And it cannot tell the difference between someone yelling at you and a saber-toothed tiger chasing you down the street. It's the same thing. The body senses danger. The brain senses danger. We like to think of ourselves as cerebral thinking beings. We are not. We are feeling beings. Everything, everything, no matter how together you think you have it, everything goes through feeling first. And then if it's acceptable, it will be transferred to the frontal lobe, right? That's really important thing to understand. Well, just to add to that, you know, the baby, we know they don't have that thinking capability yet. So we respond to them emotionally with feelings. And then when we assume that this, you know, we think the prefrontal, well, the frontal lobe's completely developed, and then we start dealing with them on an intellectual level, but it's not true. Mm-hmm. And as human beings, I think you're completely right. It could be your boss, could be your team member, it could be whomever. It's connect before anything else. Yes. And when you yell at someone, you're going to be having a limbic response. You're going to be having an adrenaline-based response, which is a fight or flight or freeze or appease. Those are the four mm. things that you do. When you are having an oxytocin-based conversation, Now you're having a conversation where the person can look at their own side. Have you considered their side? Think, hmm, maybe there's other needs that have to be looked at here. Maybe there's a bigger picture. And that can only be done when the frontal lobe is lit up. This is why you want to be responding to your children instead of reacting to your children or anyone, by the way, for that matter. This is really cool because one of the things that we're talking a lot about at Coach lately is, well, teamwork, which is kind of like what happens backstage with team members when they're really productive together. And then when companies are in teamwork with other companies, we're calling that collaboration. But you have to be a certain way, or you cannot put it this way, you cannot be in your limbic reaction mode <laughs> to collaborate because you're going to perceive everything as a threat. So when you can see them as a collaborator, they're a potential partner, it's safe. You know, it's really interesting. So this ties in so much to just even what we're talking about from an entrepreneurial standpoint. I love it. It totally does. So there's two things I want to say. Help me remember that I want to say something about the entrepreneurial brain. Sure. It's different than a normal brain, than a typical brain. (laughs) And then that piece about learning not to react and to respond is really important. So I call that having your compass face north. Mm -hmm. We all know our true self. We all know our higher self. It's almost never shut off that there's a voice in there going, I shouldn't be yelling. I don't love who I am in this moment, right? That's what our frontal lobe's job is to do, Mm -hmm. right? It's to mediate that and it's to inhibit us reacting instead of responding. And we know that feeling. And when you are reacting in a way that is not your best self, the compass is not facing north anymore, it's over here, you're going to feel ugly. Mm -hmm. You're going to feel a little sick. You're going to feel that icky feeling. We all know that feeling. And we ignore it. We push it away and we continue to react, And anxiety and depression and all of those emotions, which we see as so negative and and avoiding and sadness and all those things, those are indicators 
That's our emotional GPS. Those feelings are telling us something. What are you doing? You are so far from north here, it's not even funny. And your body feels sick because of that. It feels gross because of that. And the more you ignore it, the worse you feel. And the worse you feel, the more your body will take over and actually make you sick, right? So our job every day should be asking ourselves, what am I doing? Am I facing north? I'm so far from north. What am I going to do to get myself to be back at north? Whether you're talking to someone at work or your spouse or your child, it's our responsibility to make sure that we are responding and reacting to the world in that way, right? And that's not easy. And when you do that, that's going to always help you keep your frontal lobe on, right? That's how you keep your frontal lobe on which is not easy. The limbic system has the ability to override at any time. It can override and shut it off. There are a lot of circumstances. I'm thinking even business-wise right now, kids can trigger us in two seconds flat. (laughs) That's easy. But then there's a lot of work circumstances that can do that too. Absolutely. We are feeling beings. And the truth is, and this is, we all know this, but people don't remember what you say to them. They remember how you make them feel. We are feeling beings. We are emotional beings. And we have not appreciated that about ourselves. We don't value that. We see emotions as weakness. They are our strength. That's what tells us whether we're on the right track or not. That's what helps us connect to other people and connection. We are all social beings. Every single one of us is here because somebody loved us. Somebody picked us up when we fell. Somebody held us. Somebody hugged us. Somebody, a teacher, someone, even if at home you had terrible parents, somebody did or you wouldn't be here. Speaking about the brain, I think it's completely fascinating that they've done a lot of research now. I can't quote the study. But people who cannot access their emotion because of brain damage can't make decisions. They can analyze all the pros and cons, but they can't actually decide unless they have access to their emotions. If there's any proof I needed that we are emotional beings, that's actually it. It's kind of fascinating, even though you can have the most cerebral, intellectually intelligent person ever, (laughs) unless you feel a certain way, you're not going to make a decision. And this is why children and certain kinds of children freak out when they have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. They're confused about their own emotions. They're not clear about it. We don't necessarily raise our kids to pay attention to their own emotions. We tell them to listen to us, right? You don't know what you're doing. You're only six. You need to listen because I know better. And certainly you need to be that frontal lobe for your kids, but you also have to raise your children to begin to understand and tune into their own emotions and to see their emotions as a GPS system, as a guidance system, not a fault, not a mistake, not a sickness, not a weakness. So that's really important. I'm glad you brought that up. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's a really cool point of coaching. And often, I've and have you talked about this, and I've read it elsewhere too, that a lot of times kids feel it in their bodies. So it's like a stomach ache. Yes. Yeah. I think I read this from you. Yeah, no, I talk about that all the time. Yeah. yeah like, is it eat something bad stomach ache or is it I need a hug stomach ache? <laughs> exactly. And you know what's so true? It's true for us. We walk around having feelings all the time and don't necessarily realize that it's some icky conversation we had earlier in the day or it's bringing up something that we remember about our childhood or a terrible experience that we've had. Our, our brain loves us and it's designed to keep us alive. And so anytime something has been upsetting, worrisome, concerning, it's going to file it away and it's going to bring it up anytime you're anywhere close to that. So it's going to increase the chance of saving you. Right. So it's so important, I think, to learn to listen to our bodies in the West in particular. We don't do that. Uh There's such a separation between how we feel and what we think. And our bodies are always talking to us. And that feeling I'm talking about, you know, it's like when you're looking at, you know, those magazines where they're like those 
tabloid magazines and they show somebody how they look in their bathing suit. And there's a little part of it going, okay, well, good. I look like that in a bathing suit too. Like, and you know, you shouldn't be thinking that, but you do. And that feeling really kind of like, Ugh, I don't love that about myself. That is a feeling. And you need to pay attention to that feeling because when you have that feeling, it means your compass is no longer facing north. And the only reason, the only way you're going to feel better is to stop looking at that or put it down or look at it from a bigger picture or take a bigger vantage point. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we judge our bodies this way? Then it gets you back to north and then you feel better, right? I love that you're saying this. I've had an entrepreneur tell me, he said, I have overridden how I felt about things for years. Like he, very successful. He was a corporate guy before he was an entrepreneur. And he said, I just know there's this disconnect. So I can actually be really unhappy with the situation and not realize it for years. And it was like, wow. First of all, it's a pretty profound thing to know about yourself. But he was working actively to shorten that time frame. It took him a little while, but it was amazing. And I know for myself too, I actually wouldn't know I was upset until kind of that key feeling because I would feel it somewhere usually in my stomach, kind of like up to my solar plexus. Yep. And I'd be like, what happened? And I'd have to go back through my day, still do this. Fortunately, I actually often have the GPS set north. So it happens less and less, but it's one of those things like, what happened? I'm like, oh yeah, there's this one conversation that I didn't feel good about or this one. Like I remember younger years where I felt like that all the time. Fortunately, wisdom slowly sets in, but it's totally right. We feel it in our bodies first. And if we ignore that and shut it off, then strange things happen. Yes. And this is why it's so important to parenting because you want to teach your children to value those feelings, to recognize them and see them as indicators, not problems. Right. That's really important. But that's a really good point. And some people will be so disconnected, Shannon, that they'll get yeah, sick. For sure. They never will figure it out. And their body will tell them one way or another, your body's going to make you listen. Mm-hmm. It will. So this is why it's so important. And it's, I think it's our greatest gift as human beings. And we've ignored it for so long. I love when people are integrated between their intellect, their hearts, and their guts. That's kind of how I talk about it. Let's so line them all up. I know. Right? So when your kids in this like limbic reactive response, how as connected parents do we respond in a way that is helpful? Well, let's dig into the calm technique. The thing about my model is that there's so many interesting parts to it that you have to understand first. So let's get right down to the calm technique. So we've established that we kind of know how to do it with babies. We forget to do it with our four-year-olds. So now what happens is you're screaming, your child is upset. What's happening in their brain, because they don't have a frontal lobe, is they're looking for the inhibition. They're looking to feel the frontal lobe. So often children will not listen and will not respond to us unless we're mad, because that's when they feel the inhibition. Mm. What happens there is they get a blast of adrenaline. Adrenaline is a stimulant, just like ADHD medication, like Ritalin, like, you know, Vyvanse and Adderall. They get a jolt which lights up their frontal lobe. And now all the electricity is getting to the frontal lobe and whatever frontal lobe they have is now activated and now they'll listen. This is why parents say to me, why do I have to scream before my child will listen? This is why. Because they are medicating themselves. They're getting a hit of adrenaline, okay? Through you, through you, <laughs> the parent. So then you end up as part of how they regulate. Right. So you have to be able to stay neutral and mean it. Say what you mean and mean what you say. You've got to be a bit of an oak tree. Not get mad, but first you mirror. So this is where the calm technique comes in. So let's apply this to the bath. How would you use the calm technique for the kid in the bath? You wouldn't come in the second you want them to get out of the bath because children don't transition. That's the job of the frontal lobe and they need time to do that. No kid is going to go, okay, mom. Like maybe like 1% of children will leap out of the bath and get their towel. But most kids are ah, in a minute, one second, hear me. No, I will. That's what you're going to get most of the time. So when you come in expecting, so 
this sounds a little crazy, but sometimes you have to really lower your expectations because if your expectation is that they're going to leap out of the bath, you're going to end up getting really upset and frustrated. And they, they cannot get out of the bath. They don't have the brain capacity to do that unless they're terrified of you, right? So in that moment, you're using the calm technique. You give them time. Hey, I need you to know in 10 minutes, you got to get out of that. They won't know what 10 minutes is, but at least you're prepping the brain to move. Then you come back and you sit down beside the bath and you put your hand in the water and you're like, oh, I so get why you don't want to leave this bath. It's so warm. And then when you get out, it's cold and they're telling you, I know. And what, you're, so you're having this connection first. You're really starting with where they are at. When you do that, you are releasing oxytocin, opiates, endorphin. You are flooding the brain with oxytocin so that brain can get ready to make a move. Mm. Right? And then you empathize with them about how difficult it's going to be to make that move. And but I trust you. I believe in you. I know you can do what you've gotten out of the bath a bunch of times. Let's just do one, two, three, and let's do it. And then most of the time, I'll tell you what to do when you don't have compliance, but a shocking amount of time, a ridiculous amount of the time, it's going to work. And you're going to be like, how did I not know about this before? This is unbelievable. I get so many emails from people just saying, I can't believe it. It's unreal. And then what your child learned is that you help them transition. You help them move. It was done without yelling. It was done without screaming. Mm. And they got a blast of, of oxytocin. What I want everyone to know about this, it's that's just the bonus that you can de-escalate somebody and get them to do something. That's just the bonus. The really important part of this is that using it all the time, behind the scenes, as a regular part of your humanness, you're going to be building connection. It's like a layer of paint that's just going to get thicker mm. and thicker and thicker. And that person, whoever it is, their shoulders are going to go back. That chin is going to come up. They're going to have resilience, which is what all of us need in a quickly changing, polarized, terrifying world. And I will say this because I think it's something really important. Parents really need to hear this. We all feel this, but I have to tell you as a therapist, how many children talk to me about, I don't know if there's going to be a world. Mm -hmm. Yep. I don't know if there's going to be a world when I'm 30. I don't know if I'll get to be 30. I don't know if I'll get to have kids. This is what they're watching. This is what they're seeing. This is what they're absorbing. This is a reality in their world that was not a reality in ours. And so parents are really having a difficult time at night with their teenagers who are crying and saying, or their little kids saying, what's the point? Yeah. What's the point, right? So this is more important than ever to really help connect to your children because they're terrified. Uh -huh. So that's the calm technique. Should I break it down? Yes, please. Okay, so C is the first letter. This is where you connect. This is where you take your agenda, do your homework. Don't talk to me like that. Whatever it is, think about like, not just kids, whatever your agenda is, you're going to park it. You get to bring it back because connected parenting is all about bringing it back. You got to be that frontal lobe, but you've got to connect first. Put your phone down, make good eye contact, use your face, use your shoulders, use your body to demonstrate to that other person that they're the most important thing in the world right now at that moment. You want to get them, not agree with them, not give in to them, not control them get them. That's the key, right? Then you take your agenda, which is, I don't, whatever you want them to do, you make sure that's a way you'll bring it back. The next letter is a, this is the affect matching. So this is where the look on your face has to be fairly similar, not exact because if it's exact, it's weird, but <laughs> it's got to be fairly similar to whatever the person is expressing to you, right? So if someone's angry, you don't want to be angry back, but you want to be urgent. Like, hmm, I'm really getting this. And if they're sad, you want to be like, oh, sad, but not like, if you fall apart on either end, they're going to be looking at you going, oh my God, well, you're no good to me. Now you're upset too, right? Which is particularly hard with your children because when they come home and say they've been bullied or left out of something or something awful has happened, we, I swear sometimes that mothers in particular feel it worse than their child. Uh -huh. And then your child starts going, well, now I've got to worry about her falling apart. I'm falling apart myself. I'm just not going to tell her. 
Uh-huh. I can't handle her being upset on top of me being upset, right? So we have to be brave enough. I had one client who said, you've got to just be brave enough to be in that moment. Uh-huh. You've got to dare to be there. Ooh, is what that's a good line. That's fabulous. You got to dare to be there and you do. And when someone else is hurting or they're crying, it makes us all uncomfortable. And we want to run away or we want to cheerlead or we want to make them feel better. That's not what you do. What you do is you dare to be there and you just soothe them. If your child fell and cut their knee open and they're bleeding, who would actually say to them, oh, honey, it's okay. You have another knee. Your other knee's actually fine. You should be really grateful that your other knee's not bleeding. You only got one cut and you didn't hit your chin. That's a good thing. No, we would soothe. Oh my gosh. And you were having such a good time. You were so excited to get to that swing and then you fell and oh, and it hurts. And that's what you would do. You would soothe. We have such trouble soothing. We think that soothing is going to baby somebody. We think soothing is going to make it worse. What happens when you come in and you do that cheerleading thing is you leave the person one option. She's not getting it. I got to ramp this baby up so this person actually gets me. Right. And that's where you really have to be brave enough. That's where you have to dare to be there. And I want to say what a difference it has made in my own experience with matching the affect, because this is the part of active listening that this is where this goes so far beyond that. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're like, oh, I really get it. You really don't want to do this. So you're matching their tone. You're matching their pace. You're matching the urgency. It doesn't mean you are those things, but it means you can truly empathize and see things from their perspective. And it is miraculous just how quickly they calm down. And when someone does it with me, it feels like a hug. It's an emotional hug. It totally is. But it's like, oh my God, they get it. But they're not taken off course. No. Like you said, they still have their, you know, GPS yes. <laughs> set straight, but they're willing to come over to where I am. And it, then that is actually what helps me deal with the situation. So we're all children of all ages. <laughs> we are. And that's where true communication happens. Yeah. That's the zone. That's the place where it happens, right? When you truly get the other person. It requires being non-defensive, which is very difficult. But if we could master that, we would literally change the world. 100%. And being prepared to go, you don't, it's like you're a tourist in their brain. Yes. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to live there, but you have to be willing to look around and understand their customs and see how they do things and appreciate that's not how I'm going to do things. But I totally get that that's how you do things. Uh And when you have that moment, that's where change happens. That's where love happens. Um, and that's where true communication happens. Uh-huh. So that's the dare to be there. I will tell you, the farther the person is from you emotionally, the easier this is to do. Oh. So it's easier to do it with colleagues and, you know, people you're working with and clients and distant family. The closer the person is to you, the harder it is. It's much harder to do with your own children because you are wrapped up. You literally see their life flash before your eyes. <laughs> so when your kid is not doing their homework and I can't and I'm going to be homeless and I can't do it. And you go, oh, my God, what kind of child have I raised here? How are they going to make it in this world? They look at your face. They are constantly gauging their response based on ours. They see fear in our eyes. They see a belief in our eyes that they can't do it. And they think, oh, my God, I'm in big trouble. Right. That's the facing north part. And that's why you have to have that non-defensive part. And that's where you have to trust the other person. But the closest it is to you is to your own kids. You can, and the hardest person to do it to, honestly, is your spouse. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's the hardest because we have the most difficult time dropping our agendas with our spouse. Mm. And any fight you have ever had with them is because you're not listening to them and they're not listening to you. There is no actual validation happening in that moment. And it's really important to have it. 
Okay, the next thing you're going to do is L. So this is the listening part. This is where you can summarize, you can paraphrase, you can clarify, and you can wonder out loud. Hmm. I'll actually take you through an example. And I'm not going to use a parenting example because I want people to really think about the applications here to the entire spectrum of their experience and adults and everyone that they're with. I used to be a social worker for the Toronto District School Board. This is years and years and years ago. And I worked in the inner city. We had a number of different schools that I was running in between and dealing with all kinds of crises. And so we never had our own parking spot. So I always in every single school had to block someone in. Aww. So this particular morning, I asked this one teacher, is it okay if I block your car because I have a group that I'm running and I need to run upstairs? And she said, okay, no problem. But I have a dentist appointment by 1130. So you really need to move your car by then. I said, no problem. I'll be gone. I knew I had another group at another school that I had to be running. So I went upstairs and I ended up on the phone with this kid who said he had a gun in his backpack. He was at a different school. He had called me. His school was now on lockdown. He did not end up having a gun, but this is what he told me. So his school was on lockdown. I'm at another school talking to the child. I've got the principal on one line. I've got the police on another line. I've got the Gerstein Center, Emergency Center on another line. So I'm trying my best to manage this situation. And of course, the morning flies by and I hear Jennifer Calary, please move your car. Jennifer Calary, can you come please come to the parking lot and move your car? I'm dealing with a pretty crazy situation here. So about 10, maybe even 15 minutes later, I wrap it up enough that I can go downstairs. And this woman, I can still remember her. She had curly, curly hair. It was standing on end. Okay, she was beside herself. She was so mad. And as soon as she saw me, how dare you? And you told me you'd move my car and I'm late for my appointment. This is a specialist. You know how long it's taken me to get this appointment. And she's screaming at me and my hair is blowing back. And I have an option in that moment. I can react to that woman or I can respond to her. I can use my technique. And the more you use it, the easier it gets to do that. And so I did. I, because I can't get in a fight with someone in the parking lot. What I'd like to have said is, are you kidding me? Do you know the morning that I just had? What am I supposed to say? Oh, hold on to your gun while I go move my car. Like, and I was rattled and upset. And like, this was an awful morning. So I can't get in a fight with someone in the parking lot at the school social worker. That doesn't go well. So I look at her and I match the urgency. I do everything we just said. So I connect. I put my agenda aside, which is how we ended up there in the first place. I match her affect a little bit. I've got urgency on my face and I can listen, right? So I can paraphrase. I totally get what you're saying. You've got an appointment. It's a specialist. Like, no wonder like, I did all of that. I could summarize and say, this isn't the first time I've blocked your car. It was, but if it wasn't, I could say that. I could clarify and find out why it was so important. Like, this is really important. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll apply it to something that has more to do with this situation besides this. Because in this situation, it's pretty clear why she was upset. And when you do that, you've mirrored, right? So I looked at her and I said, you know what? You specifically asked me, you told me that I needed to move my car. And it's not five minutes later. We're talking 15 minutes. See my affect? Mm -hmm. It's so genuine. It's so real. It doesn't feel like I understand. That must be so frustrating. I understand how difficult this must be for you. Can you feel the difference? One is what I call the customer service response. I understand, ma'am. That must be very frustrating. That will never work. No, it's annoying. And it particularly doesn't work on really clever people, gifted kids. They hate that. We all kind of hate that. It feels like a technique and no one likes a technique being done. It has to feel genuine. So in the only way for this to work, mm -hmm. feel it. Yeah. I have to put myself in her shoes. And that's how I'm going to bring, if you try to fake it, if you try to get the person to be quiet, if you try to push your agenda, if you try to get your way, it will not work. It will not be real. When you've done that, that's the M. That's wow. The that's amazing. I think there's even a little bit more to that story, right? So she calmed down. Mm -hmm. What happened after that? Well, she didn't calm down in that moment. She stormed right. away. She got in her car and slammed the door. Like it didn't, she stopped yelling at me. 
but it wasn't like we didn't hug it out. Like it was ugly. Okay. And then <laughs> the next morning, that's when it got interesting. Now, if I'd gotten in a big argument with her and I'd gotten in a fight with her, I would have spent half the trip thinking about how horrible she is and, I'm, you know, how, how could she even be a teacher? And I would have spent the other half going, oh, what did I say? Where did I, right? And I didn't have to do that, right? Literally, I just had to focus on myself. And it was the next morning, though, she came up to me and she said, you know what? I really need to apologize to you. She said, you were so poised and you were so understanding and you were so kind. And she was swearing at me and everything, right? She said, I really, I couldn't sleep all night because I was horrible to you. And I just started thinking there must've been a reason why you weren't there when you said you were going to be there. Now that's how powerful this is. Wow. I would not have gotten that woman to that place using any other technique. I could have explained till the cows came home, how important it was for me not be there. She was limbic. She wouldn't have heard me. Right. If I used active listening, it would have just ticked her off. Yeah. Right. This is so powerful. And I'll tell you a funny aside to this. I was speaking at, it was actually Camp Uch. I was doing a big it's a huge audience of people getting trained for, to work at Camp Puchigayas. I had told this story and this guy put up his hand and said, oh my God, I have to tell you something. The second I finished the story, his girlfriend had phoned him and said, you idiot, you left your car in the driveway and you took the keys and it's blocking my car and now I can't get to work. And he had just heard me tell this story and he's like, I totally did that. And not only that, I did that to you two weeks ago. What is the matter with me? I can't believe it. And in, within seconds, she's like, honey, honey. It's okay, sweetheart, these things happen. Don't worry, I'll take a taxi, it'll be fine. And he's like, this is magic. Like it literally just happened. It's really powerful, it really is. That's why I say it's a superpower. Yeah. It's the last thing you'll feel like doing, but it's the most important thing you can ever do. But it must be genuine. Yes. You're fake, it will not work if you're faking it. Wow. It will not work, gotta be genuine. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, there's so much here. I know my team's letting me know that we have a few more minutes, but not too much. So we've gone through connect emotionally, match the affect, listen to what your child or person is saying, and mirror the emotion back to them to really show understanding. Mm -hmm. I mean, that example is amazing that she came back and actually said, I'm sorry, there must have been a good reason. So she got out of her limbic and back into the yeah. <laughs> frontal lobe, which is amazing. Yeah. But let's talk yeah. about limits. And then also you have a great strategy for procrastination and homework, which I think procrastination is something that every entrepreneur deals with. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, I'll tie that into the entrepreneurial oh, brain. So here's what's so interesting about that. You can see in that example with that woman, I didn't need to set any limits. I didn't need her to see that she was rude to me. I didn't need to do any of that. She figured that out on her own because we had that interaction. Mm -hmm. Much of the time, see, when you start yelling and you get mad and you give a consequence that's too heavy or too intense, the child or the person, whoever it is, walks away thinking about your behavior, not reflecting on their behavior. Right. But because I didn't give her anything to get upset about, it's very counterintuitive. Please understand this is wildly counterintuitive. Everything in your body is going to tell you to do something else. The survival part of your brain is like, are you crazy? This person's going to eat you. You got to fight back or you got to run away. In that moment though, I didn't give her anything other than total understanding, right? I just got it. I didn't say right. a word. Wow. So all the change happens. That's how you change people. That's how. Whether it's on your team or someone in your family, that's how change happens. And they reflect on their behavior because you created an emotionally, a psychologically safe space for them to go, well, I have nothing to concentrate on in terms of how horrible that person was to me. What was my role? Nice. How do I feel about the way that I behaved in that parking lot? And I can give you a billion examples, whether it, with a little kid or an adult. Right. How powerful. This is where it works. And sometimes the person isn't ready. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're not there. 
Sometimes it's too painful and there's too much stuff going on. But if that's how you present yourself every time, that person will behave differently with you. It's like you're making a sort of sacred space around yourself and they will understand that. And that's why you got to be that oak tree. Uh It will make a difference. It will. Well, and I remember like with my kids, I had a girl in dance class and sometimes she didn't want to go. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, you're really involved in what you're doing and I get it and it's kind of a pain and it's warm and cozy and it's cold outside and we really need to go to dance. And she knows that. But if once I was able to connect with her, she's like, I know. There you go, right? It's That's amazing. What and then you let it be in motion. Then you move. Yes. You walk out the door as if you're going. Don't right. stand there waiting for her to go. Just go, well, we're going. And I believe you. And I, the biggest thing you can say to anyone, not just your kids, think about your team, is I believe in you. Mm. I believe you're going to make the right choice. I've got you. And then walk away. And then you kind of drop the rope and they will follow you. Mm. They will. It's so important to let other people in your life know that you see them, that you believe in them, that you know they're going to make the right choice. And that's when you you drop out of having a reaction and into a response. Oh, that's fantastic. I wanted to just quickly talk about the entrepreneurial brain because this is really, because most of my clients are entrepreneurs. And guess what entrepreneurs have? They have entrepreneurial kids. And guess what? They're a pain in the to parent. Okay. Everything's why, what would I do it this way when I can do it this way? And everything's no. And in a minute and they're in their own heads and they're get so excited and they can't transition from one thing to another. But the parents are often like that too. They're outside of the box parents. And I call these kids gladiators Mm. and they could be gladiators for lots of different reasons. Often it's temperament. And so when they're a gladiator, they're literally built. It's like a reflex. You could offer them the best idea in the world and they're going to say no first because it's literally a reflex. And that's really tough because you want to be able to bring out their spirit to help them have that amazing creative mind, but still work within a framework. There is a reality. And if you can't teach your child those lessons, life will. Yep. And life is a much harsher teacher. Uh Trust me, right? So you have to be able to do this. And keeping these little gladiator kids in a box is really tough. Entrepreneurial parents also think outside the box, often push themselves, often stress themselves, and are often exhausted when they get home. And here's the thing. When a parent pulls into the driveway and goes, oh, what's going to be waiting for me? What's on the other side of that door? You're in big trouble, right? You have to make sure whatever multi-billion dollar business you're running, your home has to be making sense or you're not going to be doing well anywhere in any area of your life and it will all come crashing down because it's never about what's happening outside of your home. It isn't. And further to that, it's got to be okay inside yourself. The person you should mirror to the most is you. Mm. How are you going to be able to do this with your children or your colleagues or your staff or whoever it is if you're not doing it to yourself? If you're saying I'm the worst mother in the world and I'm a horrible this and I'm a hate myself, it's not going to work. You must mirror to yourself first. Right? This is a whole other podcast. It really is. <laughs> Which I would love to do, by the way. <laughs> I would love to do that too because there's so much more. This is like this. Now. I know. It's so anyway, I'm going to say this now, but we'll say it again at the end. But it's like, get connected parenting, get your rooting my life. These books are amazing. And then you really go through the whole conversation. There's so much there. I also have a podcast. Did you know that? Yes, you do. I have a podcast and I have a parenting course, an online parenting course. Get the parenting course. Which is, it's like I'm sitting in front of you with the same love and care and warmth that I put into every single client sitting in front of me. I've packaged what I say to all clients without the individual stuff just the curriculum, just the stuff they need to know is in the school. Oh, I want every parent to have it, (laughs) to get it. Very cool. So before we wrap up, you said when I got a chance to talk to you about, 
you know, helping people with procrastination. And I know a ton of adults, as you're talking about kids, I'm like, I know a lot of adults like that. But procrastination, and this example was around homework, and I have a 16-year-old gladiator, just saying. So give us a little bit of coaching on that. Well, and I I can tie this all in, too, because entrepreneurs often procrastinate. They love to envision. They like to do the envisioning of it, and then the actual doing it (laughs) is not that fun. Right. So there's a lot of procrastinating in all of our lives. So basically it is about being the architect of your own brain. These are programs, right? So entrepreneurs are usually highly intelligent and highly intelligent people think outside the box and they have such big ideas that the actual taking of those big ideas and putting them into small steps is excruciating. Like it can cause people to roll around on the ground crying. Same with a 16 year old who has an assignment to write. It's already written. It's already in her head, but to get that out onto the page and start the first sentence, you will literally see agonizing rolling around on the floor. I can't, I can't do it. I'm going to be homeless. I can't, this is where they go. And then we panic as a parent because you have to, this is ridiculous. You know, what are you doing? And so we end up locking in. Part of it is about rewiring your own brain. So when I work with someone that has issues with procrastination, which has to do with anxiety, Okay. procrastination is anxiety. It's moving from one comfortable state to an uncomfortable state. Mm-hmm. Your limbic brain can't tell the difference between an assignment you have to write and getting up and walking outside and hunting and being potentially eaten by something. It doesn't care. It wants you to stay alive. So it is always going to err on don't do anything. Stay where you are. You're safe. You're good right now. Stay. You're in a Netflix hole. Ooh, let's stay there. Right? So when you start to work around the procrastination, whatever, so if it's about schoolwork, for example, or if it's about a project or some book you're trying to write or, or some big thing that you have to now start putting into practice, your brain is going to see that thing as dangerous. And it's going to go, are you crazy? Stay right here in this cave. Don't go out there. It's dangerous out there. The cingulate system, which is a part of the brain that helps you shift gears, is going to tell you to stay right where you are. And you can think you want to move and you will not be able to move your body. It is full on paralysis. So I have people work around it. So I do something called know to go. I'm actually going to be creating a course around this one for people who procrastinate, but also one for parents of kids who procrastinate because there are a lot of things that a parent can do that will make this worse or better. And so what I do is I have them for three days, do something very small, just move. For it. So it would be, let's say you, I don't know, you wrinkled up a piece of paper and you threw it on the floor. I threw it in the trash can and it hit the floor. Instead of going, ugh. I'll get it later. There's a bunch of other garbage there. Who cares? You count three, two, one, you get up and you put it in the garbage. You hang something up on a hook. It falls down three, two, one, pick it up. The reason you count is so you can't go, Oh, I'll do it later. Like you shut down that part of the brain. that's going to give you a million reasons why you shouldn't do it. You count three, two, one, and you do it three things like that for three days. Then four things like that for four days, then five things like that for five days tiny little things like putting a toothpaste cap on. We're talking such small things that it will not wake up your anxiety. Yes. Your anxiety is trying to save you. The thing about anxiety is that if you give it a win, if you let it win, okay, you don't have to go. Okay, never mind. You don't have to go into that gym class or never mind. We're not going to hand this assignment in. You're feeding the beast. Mm. Anxiety is a hungry, greedy emotion that will continue to try and stake claims. It will continue to try to take territory from you. So when you're doing these little small things, you're not waking up the anxiety because it's too small for it to notice. And you're building neural pathways that support action, that support movement. And then when you've done that for a certain amount of time, then we add a sort of medium task, might be cleaning out a drawer, you know, whatever it is. And then we do a big task and then we hit the real thing, which is the project or school or whatever it is. And it's, it's a little bit of a slow going thing, but I have to tell you, anyone who has done this, A lot of people feel like there's a something pulling that this resistance pulling them backwards every time they're they're trying to live their life with their brakes on, Uh letting go of the brakes. 
everyone describes being able to move, being able to flow through their day and feeling freedom from this feeling that is constantly pulling them backwards. And it's really about overriding old programs and being the programmer of your own brain. That's it. I love it. I can think of so many people, mostly in larger bodies, not small ones. <laughs> can really benefit from that. And if I think about where I have reprogrammed my brain, it's because I have done those really small things. Micro movements, micro Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Robert Moore wrote a great book called One Small Step Can Change Your Life. Yeah. Is He talks about exactly that. And I've got an interview with him too, because he talks about you have to take the smallest possible step. Like you want to get on the treadmill. Great. Can you drink your coffee on the treadmill? Don't even turn it on. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's what I, exactly. Yeah. Stand on it. Yeah. Don't turn it on. Yeah. It's brilliant. But the whole thing is not to trigger the fear, the anxiety reflex, because it's powerful. I love what you said. It's, it will take the territory. Yeah. It's like regaining territory slowly, slowly, yeah. slowly until you have your life back. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This is so good. Okay. Oh, I could talk to you forever. I, know. I feel like we didn't even get to anything. I'm I know so that. Okay, let's do a part two. I want to do a part two. Absolutely. All right. So anyway, so I know that there's more, but in the meantime, how can people find you, the podcast, your parenting course, get your books, all the good stuff? So connectedparenting.com. We'll have it all there. And my podcast is on iTunes and it's very low tech. Okay. This is, this is very grassroots. It's not super fancy, but I'm really like helping parents and I'm walking them through all kinds of stuff from the initial techniques to bedtime and homework and all of those things. And I just think it's so important you know, parents say to me all the time, can you just come live at my house? Yes. And I'm like, this is the next best thing. This is the next best thing. And I have people who just listen to the same episodes over and over because as simple as this technique sounds, it's something that you constantly need to tap back into. It's like just, you've just got to vibrate on that channel because it's so easy to forget and that craziness of the day and trying to get your kids to flow through things. And that's what parenting is. Talk about procrastinate. It's literally pushing a boulder uphill, mm-hmm. getting in the back, getting out of the back, doing their homework getting to bed, getting in the car, getting out of the car. Like it's constant and it's exhausting. Parents are exhausted. And if you're an entrepreneurial parent who's also managing a team and worrying about launches and bottom lines and men, you know, all of that stuff, you come home and you, it's so exhausting when your kids are now not doing it. And it's really, really hard and it's getting harder. Well, I really appreciate that. And I think for parents to appreciate that it is a really challenging environment to parent in our world's different it's crazy busy there's a lot of information a lot of power and that this is actually so much of a better strategy i'm all about maximizer strategies and this is just amazing and just to wrap up i have two girls 16 and 19 right now and my number one lesson and i learned this from you is no matter what stay connected and i have a really strong enduring lifelong connection with these girls and we are very different and they've got different things they want to do and sometimes I'm like what are you thinking but that comes first I will never do anything that will sabotage that connection and it's because of what I've learned from you and about connected parenting I'm not even saying I do most of this right and that's not true but it is my little bit of my ground of being with my kids and we have that relationship and it's powerful. I mean, you've just refreshed me on how many more things I can do better. So I love that too. Me too. I mean, every day, the thing I really want everyone to understand about this, it's not about getting it perfect. It's about getting it wrong and then doing your best the next time, right? It's, yeah. it's really about just doing your best every single day and you can always repair. So let's say you freak out and you scream at your daughter. What, what, you can come back the next day and go, my gosh, 
you were sitting there in front of that assignment, just freaking out. And then I started freaking out. That's not how like, you can always repair. Yes. And repair is where you're actually going to do it best the first time, because you had time to think about that statement and really connect with what, where you are. And I love what you were saying, because that connection, love is the drug all of us need. Mm. Okay. And I teach parents how to use language and compassion. No, I teach people how to use compassion and language as medicine. It's medicine. It's medicine. It That's truly the, is. It really is. Well, thank you so much. I have loved this hour. I feel like I wish it was longer. I know. So, okay, if we're going to do a part two, I'd love to talk more about self-psychology. Repair would be great to get into. Yes. We didn't even get to touch on ruthless compassion, which no, is something we were just, both like lit up. But wait, there's more is what I want, <laughs> what I want to there's say. More. There's so much more. I love it. Yeah. Anyway. Thank you for supporting my work. It's I really appreciate that. Oh, I love it. And I'm super excited to share it because I said it's made a profound difference in my parenting and given me a whole bunch more confidence. I think as a parent, that's what we all just need to get through the day sometimes. And when it's going well, you can celebrate it, but you know there's going to be an obstacle somewhere as we try and parent these people to be great contributors to themselves in the world. So just thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I want everyone to jump on, read the books, listen to the podcast, get the course, share this with people you know, because it works and practice the calm technique with your spouse, with your other loved ones, with your team members, with yourself. You know, we probably all need some more parenting. So I just thank you for all the work, hard work you put in and all the own personal lessons you've learned and then share this. I think it's really going to elevate everyone and everything. So thank you. Thank you. Okay. The Team Success Video Series is a brand new online learning platform to give your team the tools to thrive in an entrepreneurial business. Whether you have five team members or 500, Shannon Waller provides expert strategies for confidence, harmony, and success. You're just one click away at teamsuccessvideoseries.com. Teamsuccessvideoseries.com.